You guys, we have no clue how blessed we are to have such an amazing worship team. Praise God. Wow. Jeez Louise. We've all heard bad music, right? You've heard bad music, and that is not bad music. That is amazing, amazing stuff. So praise God for that. How's everybody doing? Um, hey, I tell you what, if you are joining us for the first time uh, here this morning, also just want you to know, my name's John. I'm going to be the guy that's talking to you for the next while. Um, hey, <laughs> it's good to see you. We're so glad that you're here, and I want you to know, if you are a guest with us this morning, if you've never been here before, welcome. We are so glad that you're here, and if you have been away for a while, uh, welcome home. Uh, you are welcome here. We love uh, people. We love new people here uh, at Hope. It, it, you're, you're welcome. No, no matter uh, how long you've been away from the church, you're welcome here. Uh, no matter how long uh, you feel like you've been disconnected from God, uh, you're welcome. No matter how your week has been, you are welcome here, uh, regardless of what team you cheered for yesterday. You are welcome here. This is, a, this is a maroon shirt that I'm wearing today. It is not a cardinal shirt. Yes, because of the grace of God, even Cyclone fans are welcome here this morning. <clears throat> you may be welcome here, but keep in mind what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, which means this is important stuff, Okay. Thinking of myself as a Hawk fan this morning, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now get this one, after the mourning that I've had with all you Cyclone fans. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Get this, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So you may have won the game, but I'm blessed, okay? So just, just keep that in mind, okay? So Hawk fans, rejoice, for ours is the kingdom of heaven, all right? Keep that in mind today. Don't be distracted by the cardinal shirt. So hey, are you ready for fall? Oh my word, this weather has been amazing, and I love like the first few days of fall, uh, every, every season as it comes around, and you kind of walk outside, and you go, you know what I'm talking about? And you get that cool, crisp feeling in your lungs, and it's just like that breath of fresh air. Folks, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts this morning. If you think about that in a spiritual sense of what God wants to do in your soul, you just breathe that in, you say, God, more of you and less of me. More of you and less of me. That's our prayer this morning and should be really every day as we wake up with breath in our lungs. If you're just getting caught up or need a reminder, we are uh, right in the middle of a sermon series called Back to School, Back to School. And we're going through some of the foundational practices that Jesus uh, calls us to as his followers. And yet we know that even though the kids and maybe some of you are going back to school, Jesus' classroom uh, is not a, a classroom with a desk. Jesus' classroom is your life. He wants to teach you through the everyday, normal, ordinary circumstances of your life. And you are invited, just as any student sitting in a classroom, you're invited to either check in or completely check out. Do you remember growing up uh, in school, and those of you that are teachers, you get a first-hand glimpse of this every day. You remember growing up, it was so easy to tell what kids really wanted to be there 
and what kids had, didn't really care at all, and they were just there to pass the time. You know what I'm talking about? So there was those who wanted to learn, and then those who were content with getting a, the D that you need to pass just for showing up, right? I am physically present. I'm not mentally present, but I'm physically present, right? And there were some of those kids, right? You have the eager kid in the front row. Woo! I'm here. I'm so excited to learn. That ends after kindergarten. Um, and then you have the kid. I did this one sometimes when I was really sleepy. Did you ever put your elbows on your desk and then put your cup, your hands over your eyes like this? Right? Some of that, right? So you could sleep and it actually looked like you were focusing, right? Or praying, right? I know a lot of people say, yeah, I pray every morning. I study the inside of my eyelids as I pray and, and meditate, right? And then you have the kid that's just laying like this, right? With his, something like that with his head down on his desk, right? Some of us, we were those people. The, kind of like, you know, what I was thinking about all those different postures and ways, like that's the different ways that people listen to sermons too. <laughs> I want you to know I see you up here. You can see everything. So as students or those that are listening to a sermon, you can be all in, right, and fully present. You can sort of be halfway in and skeptical of the whole thing, or you can be completely checked out. And it turns out as students and also as followers of Jesus, you can be anywhere on that spectrum as well. All in, kind of halfway there, a little skeptical or completely checked out anywhere on that spectrum. Yet Jesus, I believe, had something different in mind when he called his first disciples. The, what we heard read in our passage today, Jesus is with his first 12 disciples, but he's also calling some others to follow him as well. People actually ask Jesus, can I follow you? And it seems like Jesus' response is, is pretty harsh, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's important to know when Jesus is calling the disciples, when he's calling us to follow him, it's primarily not an invitation to a church service. I don't see that in the scriptures. I hate to burst your bubble, but that's not what the primary call to discipleship was. That's a part of it. Jesus' call to discipleship was primarily not an invitation to be a better person. Okay? I don't get up every morning with blood flowing through my veins, just pumping with passion to go out and be nice. Right? That's a part of it. But there's something more than that. Jesus' call to, to, to discipleship was not primarily an invitation to a classroom for Bible study. That's a part of it. But that's not the whole picture. Jesus' call to discipleship for them and for us here today as his students was an invitation to a full-time, all-in, new, brand-new kind of life, reoriented around becoming more and more like him in everyday life. Life. You were truly all in. In Jesus' school of discipleship, if you are going to be his follower, there's none of this halfway skepticism or being checked out. You are all in. Now, I was thinking about that, and I couldn't help but notice, gee whiz, just watch the game and sermon illustrations are coming out of the woodwork. In honor of their big victory yesterday, I only thought it was right to say something nice about the clones. Do you know what's written on the front of their helmets? Of course. And that's the phrase that I was centering my whole message on today, right? I mean, just look at their coach, right? You look at Paul Rhodes, right, on the sidelines, right? Is there any doubt that he is all in, right? What a great slogan, right, for a football team, for a church, for disciples. And the question is, are you 
all in. They've been running that phrase as their theme for several years now. And we use that phrase a lot at Hope. And, and some people will say, what does that really mean? We want you to be all in for Jesus. What, is, what does that actually mean? It seems so abstract. Some of you can say, I get what that means, like being a sports fan, but how do you do that with your faith? How do you be all in in that sense? And I was thinking this week, we have no problem understanding what it means to be all in in a variety of other places of our lives. If you watch and listen closely to people's lives around you, it becomes very clear the things that they are all in for. Think about it. When you look at the people that you know best, you kind of look around you in your life, watch how people spend their time. If they have free time, what do they spend it doing? More specifically, watch what people post on Facebook. And that will give you a very clear indication of what's top of mind, top of heart for them. Watch how people spend their money. That will give you an idea of what you're all in for. Watch what people would gladly rearrange their schedule to do. It's amazing when something that we're passionate about, that we're all in for, comes up and we had a previous commitment. Oh, uh, no, it uh, wasn't really that important anyway. I'll totally be there. Except worship. Except making weekly worship a priority. Except spending time with your Heavenly Father every day. Oh, sorry, God, I got a really busy day. What are you all in for? The God who went all in for you or something else. And it's not that anything's wrong with any of those things. It's just, it's so easy to let everything else become the priority. I was talking to a guy this week who loves Lamie. Does anybody else love Lamie? Right? The little bakery coffee shop, right? Every time I see him, he's asking me about Lamie. Hey, have you been to Lamie lately? He guess what they have now? They got this brand new dish. It's amazing. We should go there for breakfast. We should go there for lunch. You know, is it even open for dinner? Bang down the door. Do something, right? He goes, hey, you want to meet me at Lamy for lunch? He says, it's been a while since we've been there. I said, we were there three days ago. And he says, it's been a while, right? It's so easily, it, you can tell what people are all in. He's all in for Lamy, right? In other words, you look at somebody's life, and if they're all in for something, there's no doubt what the most important thing in their life is. It exudes from them. But when it comes to our faith, we almost feel the need, I think, sometimes to sort of tame ourselves down. I'm all in for Jesus. I'm going to be a nice, proper, moral church person that tries not to sin too much. And that's kind of what we've reduced the gospel to. Or, on the other hand, when I say, be all in for Jesus, some of you get this idea of, like, the crazy soapbox guy down at the farmer's market that's standing, you know, with the blowhorn and telling everybody to repent or, or you're going to go to hell, and that's exactly my message for you today. Um, I'm just kidding. But we get that idea that I'm going to be all in for Jesus. It's got to be some over-the-top, wild, crazy, loud, in-your-face, annoying Christian. And I think for most of us, we're saying, I don't want to be that. You know why? Because it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel real. So what if being all in for Jesus as a disciple was neither of those? Just being a nice, good, moral person or being an annoying, crazy Christian. Instead, I want you to think about the people in your lives that have been the most influential on your journey of faith. 
Who are the people in your life that you say, they were all in for Jesus, and because of it, I am who I am? That a big part of how I got to where I am in my faith journey today is because this person or that person or that person had a profound influence on my life. You thinking about that person? So what I want you to do is just think about that for a second, and I want you to turn to the person next to you, and just for the next minute or so, I want you to describe that person to the person sitting next to you. Who is that role model in the faith? You don't have to say specific names, um, but just what characteristics defined that person. And even if you don't know the person next to you, it's fine. We're all weird. Just get used to it. Uh, we're going to have a little, bit of, a little bit of discussion right here. So turn to the person next to you. What describes that type of person in your life? Go for it. So really quick, I'm just going to kind of hit some spots of the room. Somebody from this part of the room, just yell out something that you heard in one of your groups. Just yell it out. Honest, good. How about kind of the back area? What'd you hear? Disciplined. Helping others. Anything from the middle? What's that? Shares God's expectations. Good. What else? Loving. Good. How about up here? Consistent, accessible. Good ones. How about in the back over here? Integrity. Good one. How about up front? Passionate, forgiving. Wow. That's open-minded. Yeah, we could keep on going, right? Here, it's very clear, okay, what I'm hearing is not wild, crazy, in-your-face annoying. And I didn't hear a manager of their sin. You know what? I, I think what I'm hearing is something like real, authentic, broken, approachable, they're a joy to be around. They're consistent in their character. That's what I had written down for those who have influenced my life. They're the same person in all walks of life. And more importantly, how about a deep love for Jesus? Right? It was just evident. It wasn't, let me! You can have everything else, right? But give me Jesus. Or as Paul puts it to the Philippians, what is more, I consider everything else a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Get this, for whose sake I have lost all things. So as we look at that list that we made that you heard yelled out, these are people that you never had to doubt what the most important thing in their life was. And because of it, they left a legacy, an impact on others' lives. Do you want to be those kind of people for the next generation? And I'll tell you this, it doesn't have to even be old to young. Maturity in your faith has nothing to do with what age you are. It has to do with what's in here surrendered as an all-in disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is talking about here. I don't doubt that any of us want to be those kind of people. So how do we get there, right? Some of you kind of checked out recently from your faith, okay? That's fine. I'm glad you're here today. Some of you, you're kind of halfway in. You're kind of doing one of these things. Just wait till the sermon's over. Just wait till the sermon's over. Some of you are all in. No matter where you are on that spectrum, how do we get from being skeptics or part-time disciples to be all in? Well, it might be helpful for us to go back to Scripture and, and who Scripture says is the author and perfecter of our faith, as Jesus is described. What kind of a life 
did Jesus model for his disciples? And I want to boil it down to three main ways. If you want, I want to write this down, and we're going to yell these out together. Number one, everybody say go. go. Everybody say be. be. And everybody's favorite, die. die. I said die with a D. Oh. Everybody say go. go. Everybody say be. be. Die. die. That's the exciting one, right? How about that for a cheery thought this morning? We'll get to that. But don't check out now. If you think about it, if we're going to be all in disciples for Jesus, we're called to do exactly what Jesus did. So we're going to go, we're going to be, and we're called to die. And we'll unpack those one at a time together. So the first one is go. We're called to go. Remember a few months ago, Tiffany and I were getting ready to do some travel and we were at the airport. If you've ever been at an airport and you've been in the terminal and you're waiting there, it is not the most cheery place to be, right? Anybody ever been just waiting for a flight for hours and hours and hours? Not very cheery, is it? So we're sitting there, especially if you've been there a long time. So our waiting area by the terminal was full of a bunch of people that were headed back to Des Moines in February, right? From being way down south where it was like 95 and sunny every single day, okay? Uh, clearly from warmer temperatures. So you can imagine everybody's just sprawled out, laying around. They're grumpy. They're half awake. They're complaining, right? Um, the people are showing each other pictures of their vacation. Oh, remember that? That was just eight hours ago and now it's freezing, right? And they're not excited to go back to Des Moines. Except one little boy who I think had like a SpongeBob SquarePants uh, uh, luggage set, and he was stoked to be traveling. And he noticed, I noticed he was a little extra squirrely, so Tiffany and I just started watching him. And so you know how they call zone one, zone two, zone three, you know, in that order? And so you kind of have to wait your turn. He's just sitting there going like this. He's just so excited to get on the plane. Everybody else is like, oh, this is terrible, right? He's so pumped, and you kind of call zone one, and people sort of saunter up back to real life in Des Moines, right? <laughs> zone two, here we go. Come on, kids, back we go. And then all of a sudden, they call, now boarding, zone three. And this little kid with SpongeBob SquarePants luggage set just pops up and goes, that's me! That's me! That's me! And everybody kind of is looking around him going, Right, one of those kind of looks like, get get real, kid. Right, and so uh, he's he's saying, that's me to mom and dad, and the you know, parents like, yes, that's us, that's right. You know, he's just going up to random people. That's me, that's me, that's me. I get to board the plane now. I get to go where I'm going. Everybody kind of eh, little courtesy laugh, golf clap there. You know, that's cute. But when you think about it, what if that was our heart when it came to being sent? into the destinations that God is calling us? What if just like the little boy, and unlike the people that were there that day, we're called right back into the heart of Des Moines? Now boarding, zone three, a.k.a. all of Hope Des Moines, your destination, where you already live. And that's your mission field. And may the posture of our heart as we're called to go as disciples of Jesus, not to stay here within these four walls, but to go, may the posture of our heart be, what did he say? That's me. Let's say it together. That's me. It's my time to go. I have been sent. Or as we read in the book of Isaiah, the prophet's response to God's call on his life. Let's read it together nice and loud up on the screen. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Let's read it together. 
Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. If we're going to follow Jesus' lead, if we're going to have an all-in faith, first of all, we're called to do what? To go, which means we can't stay, whether that means staying in our comfort zones or whether that means staying complacent with our faith being in a building for an hour a week. The call is to go. And though the question is, you might be asking, go where? Like, am I called to be a missionary? Am I called to go overseas? Where am I called to go? When you think about it, think about this whole pie and this chart. That is your life. That is every single aspect of your life. And you have different aspects to your life. You've got your family. You've got your friends. You've got your marriage. Hopefully you can read my writing. You've got your finances, right? Um, what other, you've got your hobbies, all these other areas of your life, and you could go around and around, right? So we kind of split these up, and we, and we are really good, especially as followers of Jesus, about compartmentalizing, compartmentalizing that's a big word, our lives. And then when it's convenient sometimes, or when we have the time, I'll just squeeze it in here. Church. Just squeeze that in there. And I hear people ask a lot, ever, ever ask this yourself, how do I better fit faith into my life? What they're asking, I think, is, I kind of feel guilty because I spend so much time focusing on all these other things, which are good, don't get me wrong, that faith sort of becomes an afterthought or the first to go when the schedule gets tight or something else comes up, and so I need to figure out how to squeeze it in. For the early disciples, if you asked anybody in the book of Acts, if this is all of life, the whole thing, for the early disciples, if you asked them, what part of your life would church fit into? The early followers of Jesus would either be extremely confused and not understand your question at all, or they would look at you and laugh. Because the question, where does church fit into your life, doesn't even make sense. If you asked an early follower of Jesus, what part of your life is your faith? They would say, Something like that, maybe? Forget the pie. How about all of it? The question is not what slice of the pie is your faith life. The question is how do you get your faith life into every single slice of the pie, right? They would be extremely confused at that question. Is The danger is if we keep our faith or if we keep this church slice of the pie to a little compartment, it's not the whole piece of the pie, and then we leave it there every single week. What we're saying is, this part of my life, right here, this little slice of the pie, is sacred, meaning God's in it, and all the rest of it is what we call secular, meaning it's of the world. In other words, this little slice of my life is where all the Christian activity takes place. You know, like reading the Bible and praying and worshiping. So everything else that I do in my life must be non-Christian activities. The problem is, if we're going to be all in for Jesus, we can't tell God where he is and where he isn't. 
Our job is not to stick labels of sacred or secular. That's God's job, and watch how he does it. If you have your Bibles, turn really quick to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to do a little jet through or tour through a couple Old Testament stories. You ever heard of a guy named Moses? So he came up to this bush, and what did the bush do? It set on fire, right? And it started to talk to him. Anybody ever had that happen? Any trees talk to you recently? Okay. On Lord of the Rings they do, but not in real life, right? So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. So this is the story of Moses and the burning bush. So we read that Moses, like most biblical heroes, is a shepherd, right? And he's tending to his sheep in the land of Midian. Everybody say Midian. And he comes up upon this burning bush, which is God. And God is speaking to him through this burning bush. Now Moses has been tending sheep in this region, we're guessing, for around 40 years. And you think about it, he's had to pass by this spot hundreds, thousands of times, maybe even standing right next to that very same dead-looking ordinary bush. Okay? The ordinary places that he goes every single day. And then what? It, look at verse 5. And God says, Take off your sandals, for the place that where, you, where you are standing is what? Holy ground. Meaning way out here in the middle of your sheep pasture, in the middle of nowhere, is sacred. Meaning I'm already there, God says. I'm already here and I'm already working. So maybe God is saying the ground has always been holy and Moses is now just becoming aware of it. You ever thought about that? Earlier there's a story in Genesis where a guy named Jacob who is on a journey, stops in this random cave along the road that is just out in the middle of nowhere. And during the, the middle of the night, he has his dream, and God shows up and speaks to him. And, and Jacob feels his presence, and Jacob wakes up and says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. In the book of Psalms, David says to God in prayer, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Maybe everywhere that you and I are called to go, God is already there. God is already present. And if God is fully present, if he's already there, then the call on us is to be fully present in every single aspect of our lives. Jesus later on says in John Chapter 17, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world. Sometimes as Christians, we, just, we get in this little bubble of this Christian subculture and we say, man, this is where my faith comes alive. Every single Sunday when I'm at church, that's where I just get invigorated and then I kind of have to leave it at the door when I go out into work or when I go back to my family or when I go into my finances or on my marriage and we just kind of leave it by the side. But if God is already there and he calls us to be to be fully present in every aspect of our lives, what if your prayer every single morning, whether you're going to work or school or to hang out with your kids as a stay-at-home parent, whatever that is, what if our prayer was, God, make me aware of your presence? I used to pray all the time in my prayers, God, would you just come down and would you meet us here today? And one of my mentors in the faith said, John, why do you pray that? He's already there. He was at Hubble at 4 a.m. this morning. 
probably earlier than that. He's been here since last week, and he's also everywhere else in your life that you're going to be this week. And so my mentor said, John, change your prayer to asking God, what are you doing in my marriage? What are you doing in my school? What are you doing in my workplace? And how can I join you in that? Hmm, I like that prayer better. God's already there. The question is, are you going to show up? Yeah, physically, right? Oh, physically, John, I go to my job every single day. Are you going to show up? Meaning the Christ in you, the light that shines in you, are you going to show up? How can I join you in that? Now, you might be saying, John, that's great and all, but you don't understand. For those of you that have a place of employment today, my job is the most unchristian environment that is. I've talked to some of you. I get it, right? You have no idea, right? What do you think I'm going to do? Like just start praying or chanting in the middle of a staff meeting? No, right? I get fired. People just laugh at me. People yell at each other. There's bickering and backstab. My place of employment is the most unchristian place in the world, right? Or maybe you're saying, you know what? My friends, they're, this other group of friends that I have, they're not really the Christian type. Or, you know, John, my family... I don't really want to have anything to do with faith. I get that. That's the reality for a lot of you. At the same time, a biblical understanding of the word Christian was a noun long before it was an adjective. A Christian defines a certain kind of person that is who they are no matter where they go and no matter what they do. Christian is not a label that we stick on things like books and music and culture. Christian is who I am if I'm in Christ. That's what it means to be Christian, right? And so we start thinking about this sacred, secular thing. Think about this. If you're following Jesus and you're where God has called you to work, then that place is no longer secular, it's sacred. Why? Because you're there. Because the God that lives inside of you is there. Now I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say this. That's why it's impossible for a Christian to have a secular job. Because there is no secular place in this world. The world is the Lord's and everything in it. And wherever you go, you bring the light of Jesus Christ into that place. Your job, what surrounds it may feel secular, but it's sacred. It's holy ground because God is there through you. If you think about it, you spend more time in your job than sometimes you do with your family, sadly, right? Not because you want to, just the reality of it sometimes. We spend a lot of time at work than almost any other category up there. What if you spent the same amount of time on your marriage that you did at work? Well, I don't know where that came from. That'd be a good challenge. What if you spent the same amount of time on your faith that you did at work? Something to think about. And yet we spend a lot of time in our workplaces. What if, what if God was already all over your workplace and he was already moving? Take a look at this kind of cool video. It makes you think differently about your place of employment. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, 
Work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. Changes the way that you're going to view Monday morning, doesn't it? You know the song, everybody's working for the... Really? What if you're working for an audience of one? As Colossians calls us, in everything that you do, work at it with excellence, as if working for the Lord. So how do you be fully present? How do you do what that video is talking about? You might want to write these things down. I just want to give you a few key nuggets. How do you be fully present, whether it's at work, at home, in your family, whatever it is? So I think it starts with consistency. With your coworkers, with your kids, with all your circles of friends, are you the same person no matter who you're with? I don't think there's any bigger turnoff to those who are watching your life to see if this Jesus thing is real than inauthenticity. Are you consistent in your character no matter where you are and no matter what group of friends or coworkers you're with? What types of habits does your boss and your kids see you do every day? Because that's what they're going to see, and especially for your kids, that's what they're going to replicate. Secondly, practice the presence of God. Who said that devotions only had to be in the morning before you go to work and then you just go on with your life and forget about it? Right? You can talk to God anytime, anywhere, and he wants to do the same with you. 
Who says you can't have a four-minute devotion right in the middle of your day at work or right in the middle of nap time with the kids? Practice the presence of God as you're washing dishes. The Holy Spirit's there. As I'm filling out paperwork, the Holy Spirit is there. When I'm at the bar with my friends, would you believe it? Jesus loved to party. And he's there. He knows everything that's going on in your life. Finally, surrender. Surrender. What if your prayer every day going into work, every day as a stay-at-home mom, every day as a student, what if your prayer was, God, make me an instrument of your love with my boss, with my coworkers, with my kids, whatever it is. Came across this quote this week, and I love it. The most, some of you feel ordinary. Let me just say that. I feel ordinary most times. The most ordinary person can be the most effective disciple maker if fully given over to Jesus. The most ordinary person can be the most effective disciple maker if fully given over to Jesus. Think about that. So go, be fully present, and last but not least, the one you've all been waiting for, that you can't wait to do, die. Turn to Luke chapter 9 really quick, and this is where we're going to land. In this passage that was read for us, Jesus has three encounters with three perspective disciples, three potential followers. Every single one of these guys longs to be all in. They long to be all in, but something continues to get in the way. So verse 61 of Luke chapter 9 says, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He also goes on later to say, Let the dead bury the dead. Jeez Louise, Jesus. Kind of sounds like a jerk, doesn't he? This is one of the hardest passages of Scripture, and I think I know why. Jesus is not saying that your family is not important. Jesus is not saying skip your parents' funeral, okay? He's not saying that. I think what Jesus is saying, especially for us in 21st century, everything at our fingertips, ready to consume, ready to grasp, Jesus is saying it's so hard to die, isn't it? And I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm talking about dying to ourselves. I'm talking about dying to the sinful nature. I'm talking about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. Let's read that together. What does Jesus say? Go ahead and go to the next slide. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. I wonder if the number one reason that we don't see more people go all in for Jesus is because even in the church, we just assume we should be afraid of dying. That we should, and what I mean by that is that we should avoid, as Christians, we should avoid discomfort at all costs. That we should stay away from anything that seems a little too risky. 
Think about the reason that people don't do things, okay? This is me included. This is us included. The reason that we don't do things is because we're afraid of what's going to happen to us. We're afraid of what we're going to lose, and we're afraid of what it's going to cost us, and we're afraid of what people are going to think of us. That's all avoidance of death, of what we might lose. I love what the late missionary Jim Elliott once said. You have to think about this one for a second. Look at it up on the screen. He is no fool who will lose what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. As followers of Jesus, we have eternity secure in heaven for us. You have been adopted as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You have eternity taken care of for you. What do you have to fear? What do you have to lose? There is nothing that can ever take that away. We have nothing to lose. We have nothing to lose in this life, this side of heaven. Do you believe that? So man, getting out of my comfort zone a little bit, or or, or even why do I worry about what people think of me so much? We have eternity at store, and I'm worried about if people are going to think I'm too crazy for Jesus. Well, gosh, when I get to the pearly gates, I really hope that Jesus says, doesn't say, man, you went a little bit too all out for me, John. Don't think that's going to happen. We have nothing, nothing to lose. And if you can get over that, nothing will stop you. And so the question I want to leave you with today is, why are you so afraid of going all in for Jesus? So when the call to go, to go deeper in your faith today is by joining a life group, even if you're so afraid of awkward conversations and, and a feeling safe, you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. And because of that, when it's, hey, join a life group, you can respond like the little boy in the airport as we all say together, that's me. Because I don't have anything to lose. I don't have anything to fear. And when the call is to be consistent in your weekly worship, no matter what comes up in your schedule, even if it means letting go of my own agenda and my own priorities so that I can worship and be who I was created to be, you can say like the little boy in the airport, And when the call is to get out of your comfort zone and make it so that no neighbor that lives next to a Hope Des Moines member hasn't been invited into your life. (laughs) Whoa, that's a cool challenge. We're going to have 300 people at our two services today. That's 600 neighbors at least. Either side of you, right? What if no neighbor living next to a Hope Des Moines person had not been invited into your life? And we say, oh, that's going to be weird. That's going to be awkward. That's going to be out of my comfort zone. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. What are you so afraid of? And the awkwardness is nothing compared to the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And when that opportunity comes around, you'll respond like the little boy in the airport and say, that's me. That's me. That's us. It's time to go all in with Jesus. Grab that brochure, find a life group, grab the join a team brochure, join a team and say, that's me. Follow Jesus' lead and go and be and die. Amen? Let's stand together.
worship team is going to lead us in this song. And sometimes we talk about what song we're going to end with, and sometimes we don't. And just felt like God was saying, whom shall I fear? Who do we have to fear? We have nothing to lose. No matter what God is calling you today, no matter what your next step is, no matter what that looks like, you and I have nothing to lose. No matter what aspect of your life God is calling you to be sent to, you have nothing to fear. God is right there beside us. He is living inside of you. And so as we close and as we worship together, I want you to sing like you've never sung before. I want you to worship God and I want you to go all in for Jesus which had so much more to do with what's going on right here, right in the center of who you are this morning. You have nothing to fear. Let's worship our God together.